0: Um, <laughs> we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 here. Um, you know, they tell you, they teach you in seminary that you've got to have a good attention grabber in the first 10 seconds or so. I don't think I've ever had an attention grabber like that one. Uh, I know my brain is certainly not on what I have written, so if I'm a little distracted, forgive me, we're in Matthew 28, we're going to be in the first 10 verses of Matthew 28. And as I was reading that, this passage this week um, and considering it, it, it actually reminded me of a, a kind of not-so-fun experience that I had as a kid. Perhaps you had the same experience, um, but my mom and I were at a mall, and I don't remember which mall it was. I've, I've narrowed it down to it's, it was either the Shenango Valley Mall up in Sharon or it was the Beaver Valley Mall. Uh, I can't remember which one, but I remember that we were in JCPenney. And I remember turning around at one point and looking and not seeing mom anymore. And I remember that feeling of just, where did she go? Did she just go around this rack? No. Did she go around this rack? No. And the ever-increasing kind of uh, stress and distress that I was in course, being a child of the '80s and '90s, I knew the first thing to do was to go to the cashier and say, "I'm looking for my parent." And I knew, realistically, that mom was there somewhere. I had just become separated from her, and uh, the the uh, the cashier saying, "Don't worry, we will find your mother. Uh, we're going to announce her name over the the PA system. I'm sure she'll come." and I knew that that would be the case, but it really wasn't until mom got there that I felt any better whatsoever. You know, if you've been separated from a parent as a small child, that, you want to actually see them, no matter how much you know that they just have to be right there. And as we open up to Matthew chapter 28, that's a bit of the similar feeling that is going on here. We're going to encounter an empty tomb. And as much as we want that to make us feel better, it did not make people feel a lot better. And it wasn't until Jesus showed up that the resurrection became real. And so that's what we're going to focus on today, the fact that Jesus' personal presence makes the resurrection real. So open with me then to Matthew chapter 28, verses one Through ten, hear God's word as I share it with you. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and then sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women. Do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, this is such a familiar text we come and we gather and we celebrate every Easter your resurrection from the dead. Help us, not, help us not to become complacent with the story through familiarity, but show us anew the power of your resurrection and the power of your presence in our lives. Lord, during this time, strengthen my words For mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we open this, this must have been a quite strange day. Scripture tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were on their way to the tomb to observe, to watch. They were there to sit, not uh, to keep watch over the tomb like the guards were, but they were there to observe the tomb. They were there to be in the presence of the master that they had followed for so long. Just by the, the language in the text here, we get the sense that they are not expecting anything different than what they have seen time and time before. That when someone dies, they go into the tomb, and you remember. These are a people not unfamiliar with death. They are a people who, uh, despite what we would consider uh, a belief system that lends itself to the supernatural they are a people that are firmly grounded in what death means and what the finality of death looks like and they come to this point and something different happens we know what it is we know that it is the the appearance of this angel we know that it's the the earthquake and the rolling of the tomb back and what we find is that, that Jesus' absence is really distressing for everyone in, around. Jesus' absence uh, is problematic. The first group that, that encounters this are the soldiers. Now, I typically when growing up, when I think about the soldiers, I pictured like two guards. but really this was probably a detachment of four or more guards, Roman soldiers. People who were quite experienced in, in battle. These are people that are, by our standards, ruthless. They are people who have been tested and have seen and executed death up front. And here, whatever it is that these Roman soldiers see is so distressing that it causes them to freeze. Now, if you're familiar with history, you know that the Roman legions, the Roman soldiery, did not really stop for much anything. Rome was the most powerful force in the world. Rome uh, overthrew uh, the Greek Empire, took over the territories in, uh, in Western Europe, took over the territories in Eastern Europe and in the Middle East and even down to Egypt and Northern Africa they defeated Carthage, they defeated the Franks, the Gauls, they had defeated uh, Persia. These were a people who knew how to conquer. These were a people who could take care of business when it came to the military. And yet, these are the people who are freezing before one person, taking care of a single tomb. For a, Roman, for a Roman detachment. I'm sorry, this was a little bit of a snoozer job. This was one of those jobs that you pull the short stick and you go, oh, I'm going to be up all night. And they would have had enough people there that it wasn't like pulling an all-nighter by yourself in your college dorm room with nothing but an enormously cup of coffee. This is being with other people. This is, uh, you know, our middle schoolers might have, remember the tween retreat from a couple weeks ago. You know, it's much easier when there are other people around you to stay up all night. And so these are the Roman guards that are there to, to guard the tomb. And they know that the real threat for them is from the outside. But yet, when this happens, when the... When the angel comes when the tomb opens and becomes vacated they are mortified whatever goes on there these these soldiers are absolutely paralyzed by what they see this is a strange strange thing and as the the story goes they become like dead men on the ground the guards were so afraid of of this angel that they shook and became like dead men Jesus's absence then is disturbing to the guards but as well the, the Jesus absence becomes disturbing to the women as well the the women are there observing And they see what is going on and the angel speaks to them and says, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus. But he has risen just as he said. Go and tell his disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee. Now, this is really where I picture that moment of standing at the cashier's desk and saying, I need to find my mom. This is that moment where someone is telling you that, that it's okay, we're going to, you know, this person is around, we're going to find them, but don't be afraid. And you just go, Ugh. I don't think I'm there yet. I just don't think I'm there yet. And part of that, you know, for a small child, you know that your parent is around somewhere. But for these women coming to the tomb, not only are they kind of bewildered by this news, but it goes against everything they know about dead people. Kind of a a given fact that dead people generally don't just get up and walk. And so Jesus' absence there is disturbing. We talk about the empty tomb as a good thing but it is actually a disturbing thing as well because the women are there and they are saying it's empty but where is jesus i hear what you're saying don't be afraid yeah. mm. but where is jesus what has gone on here No doubt there were some ideas in their heads that wouldn't have been far from ours, that Jesus had, uh, someone had come and stolen his body, that maybe the the religious leaders were up to something again to really turn the knife in what they had experienced. But whatever the case, the empty tomb, Jesus' absence is disturbing to everyone who encounters it. A divine absence that doesn't leave us full of joy, but leaves us disturbed. The women need something more than an empty tomb and the word of an angel. And the reality is that many of us as well need something more than an empty tomb. We can hear the story about the empty tomb, but there are still too many unanswered questions in our minds. There are too many ways that this could have gone that that is apart from the scriptures. There are too many just unresolved items in our head, and we struggle with this idea of the empty tomb. We struggle with the absence of Jesus. It's disturbing to us. And that's a natural thing. That's a natural thing. Because there are the unanswered questions. We want to believe the words, but the doubts ring in our head. And the angel there even praises the women for what they're there. You're here seeking Jesus. It's a good thing. But he isn't here. You can't stay here. You are going to remain here in that disturbed state, you got to go look somewhere else. And as we come to Easter Sunday, as we come to the resurrection morning, the reality is if we stay at the empty tomb, we will stay disturbed and have no real answers. So, so what happens in the story? Well, of course, the women get some joy because there's, there's this spark, there's this tension, there's, there's conflict in them as they say, there might be a possibility here. There is joy. The Scripture says that they, they go off, uh, hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. They don't know what to make of this quite yet. But the women are still faithful to the angel despite their fear. And it's on their way to tell the disciples what they've encountered, they've encountered, that they encounter the risen Jesus. They're on their way, they encounter the risen Jesus, and the first thing they do is fall to the ground, clasp his feet, and start to worship him. What they needed and couldn't be provided by an empty tomb is now made a reality by Jesus's presence and it's Jesus's presence that gives peace they are wondering what is going on here there must have been some sort of conversation there must have been some sort of confusion someone at some point it isn't recorded by scripture but I would put money on it said did that just happen and they're confused but all the confusion all the doubts all the questions get get answered not by a logical argument get answered not by evidence and facts get not answered not get answered by a a great preacher not that there's one here today just But all of those questions and fears get answered by the presence of Jesus. By the physical presence of Jesus in their lives. They fall down and they worship. They don't ask questions. They don't say, now wait a minute. How did this happen? And how did you get out of the tomb? And how did you get brought back to life? And wasn't this just resuscitation and not resurrection? No, they don't ask any of those questions they fall and worship the risen lord in that moment this is a response that couldn't be produced simply by an empty tomb you know it's very easy to come to easter worship and leave unchanged it's very easy to have that experience if we have no experience with the risen Jesus. And the point here is this that faith is not simply an intellectual exercise. Faith is, isn't a geometric proof or a Rubik's cube to be unlocked. Now that doesn't mean um, that doesn't mean that we throw our brains away. No. Otherwise, the work that, that many scholars have done or that many uh, pastors preparing for sermons, even me this week, is futile. No, we don't check our brains at the door, but faith is not the sum, or excuse me, reason is not the sum total of faith. But it's a, a personal relationship, it's a personal encounter with the risen and living Lord If we leave ourselves to an empty tomb, if we leave ourselves to the absence of Jesus, then we really don't get there in the end. But it's when we have an encounter with the risen risen Lord that faith becomes real. Since the ascension, we don't have the, the same experience of the risen Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit that is given to us as a witness, as a testimony to Christ in us and to Christ in the world. But it's that presence and encounter with the Spirit of Christ that gives us the peace that we so desperately desire in our lives. There's a lot of anxiety in our world. There's a lot of frustration. There is a lot of question and confusion, a lot of meaning-making. And that's an exhausting process. People that I have seen and known who, who attempt to make meaning for themselves year after year after year, constructing identity after identity after identity. Will this one work? Will this one work? Does this one work? Will I finally be accepted? Will this finally be the, the day that I feel? And it never fully comes to peace. Yet the number of people who live in circumstances that I have encountered, uh, encountered that, that should leave them extraordinarily anxious and extraordinarily nervous, extraordinarily angry with the world or in or extraordinary pain, but who have had an encounter with the risen Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, who live in peace. Because that's all they need, and all of the questions then fade away. The empty tomb, Jesus' absence leaves us disturbed, but Jesus' presence brings us peace. It brought the women peace, it brings us peace ask those who have seen them at work in their lives, even in this room, share those stories. Because it isn't uh, the number of times that I encounter Christians that, why don't you talk about your faith? Well, I'm afraid I might say something wrong. I'm, I'm afraid I might uh, mess it up. Share the story of Christ working in your life. So what does all of this mean? Well, there's peace, but there's also more work to do. Because Jesus' life then sends us on mission as well. Jesus and the angel talk about Galilee. Why? You know, the angel tells tells the women, go tell his disciples to go back to Galilee. That's where he's going to meet us. And Jesus says and reiterates, I should say, to the women, tell my brothers to go find me in Galilee. That's where I'm going to be waiting. Galilee uh, is an area north of Jerusalem, where they are, uh, where they're located at this moment. And throughout Jesus's ministry, Galilee was the was the home base. It was the 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 home area for mission and ministry, for their fellowship, for their relationships, for everything that went on. Jesus had some excursions down to Jerusalem, sure, but his main work was in Galilee. And he wants to take take his disciples down to Galilee to restart them, to get them back into the rhythms that they knew, over the past several weeks, had my, uh, we've had our lives disturbed by a number of different things. Katie had COVID for a little bit, and that threw our, threw our, uh, that throws your week off, um, especially when you've got two boys and sports. Um, I was a taxi for a week. And then we had some other things, and it's been about a month, and, and I, we were talking, and I, I said, you know, I've just, my focus has gone down and so on and so forth. And what has happened is I've gotten out of my rhythms. I said, I really need to get back into the, I need to get back to the gym. Um, And again, personal relationship. I know looking at me, you wouldn't say I was going to the gym, but (laughs) pastor on Easter Sunday, I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) But I need to get back to the gym. I need to get back into my rhythms because I didn't know how much strength they had given me. And Jesus here is taking the disciples back to the place where they can get into their rhythms. Where they can re-encounter him for the first time. Where they can say, wait, this is how we do it. This is, this is how we, we did ministry. This is where we did ministry. Now I remember. So that they can overcome the trauma of, of the week in Jerusalem and begin to carry the message forward. But they have a message to carry forward. And Jesus wants to prime that pump with them and get things ready so that they can carry the good news beyond themselves. And we stand on the shoulders of those apostles. You know, we can, uh, uh, pastors often joke, I should say, that one of the surest signs that God exists is that the church has existed for 2,000 years. Church has an incredible way of shooting itself in the foot because it's full of sinful, broken people who mess it up, who fail time and time again, who, who confuse their will for God's will, who, who get angry, who get frustrated, who act out in sinful ways... Yet the mission continues. And Jesus calls not just the apostles, not just those first disciples, but he continues to call us to say, look at what I have done. Come into my presence and find peace. Don't stay in my absence where where you're disturbed, but come and follow me. It takes the first disciples back to their calling, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. And it takes us back to when Jesus called us and when we encountered him in our lives and he said, I accept you, I love you. Come join me in my work. If we've experienced Jesus, we haven't inherited the same mission as those disciples. We are beneficiaries, we are co-workers, we are brothers and sisters. Jesus has worked for us regardless of whether we are pastors with a master of divinity and who have studied the scriptures in a scholarly way and served the church vocationally, whether we are business people who serve the public or a mother, father, sister, or brother who serves family. Jesus has work for us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he calls us out of the absence of the tomb into the peace of his presence to send us on his work. Glory be to God for His call on our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You that the, it's not just that the tomb is empty, but You come to meet us. You knew that we needed more than an empty tomb. You knew that there were questions in our hearts and our minds, but You also knew that simple answers would not suffice. They wouldn't go to the depths of our soul. And so you appeared to us so that we could know beyond understanding that you are alive and that you have work for us. I give you thanks for those who have had encounters with you and I pray for any who are here and questioning today that they would have an experience of your spirit that gives peace beyond understanding. Thank you, Lord. Help us to serve you as co-workers and as brothers and sisters in your mission. This we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.